Okay, so uh, when we left off a couple of weeks ago, so we had started the structure of Shmonesre, sort of like the inner structure of Shmonesre. We had uh, discussed the first three brachas and the last three brachas, as far as how they, uh, according to some opinions, they parallel uh, one another. So we, uh, we had worked on that. And then when we left off, so we were discussing the inner structure of the middle 13 brachas. And we had mentioned that, according to one opinion of the Gemara, the, the tefillahs which we say, the, oh, well, the, uh, the Shemon Esrei that we say is going to, is going to go ahead and uh, uh, is patterned after the korbanos. Just like in the Beis Amikdash, they brought a, a morning korban, an afternoon korban, and then at night they uh, brought the leftovers. Even in the Beis Amikdash, they served leftovers apparently. So, uh, so, so too, in the uh, in our uh, in our tefillas, so we have a shacharis, we have a mincha, and then we have a mariv. Uh, the the parallel to that, in a certain sense, is the fact that in the uh, original formulation, so mariv was a rishus. Mariv was an optional prayer; it wasn't something that's obligatory. Klai Yisrael accepted it upon themselves as obligatory at some point uh, uh, later on, but it was not part of the. He's not invited, or she, uh, but it was. It was not part of the original uh, uh, obligation to go and do so, and it was adopted uh, later on as something which is uh, which is obligatory. So, being that the uh, existence of formalized prayers is patterned after the uh, the korbanos. So we use that as a model in terms of the primary part of the offering of the korban was the blood application. And if you remember, we said that the blood applications for the daily tamid were two applications, which are four. What does that mean that it's two applications, which are four? So as the Kohen would ascend to the top of the, uh, the Mizbeach, so he would walk to the northeast corner, he would walk to Maine, and he would do a blood application right on the corner over there, covering the northern side and the eastern side. And then he would walk all the way around to the opposite uh, corner, when uh, in Southern California over there, where he would cover the south and the, the west. So that's how he ended up doing two applications, but it covered all four, uh, all four directions. And we mentioned that the different directions of the, uh, 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 in, uh, in Jewish thought, in Jewish philosophy, so obviously they're going to be uh, significant. That, uh, just to review that uh, quickly, let me, uh, that the north, um, right, sorry, east represents God's spirit or light in the world. So the menorah is going to be located over there. North represents material wealth. I'm sorry, I'm supposed to be speaking up. North represents material wealth, uh, and that's where the uh, that's where that's where the uh, the shulchan was. The west re- represents the divine presence of where the that's where if you kept going west, you hit the uh, the Aron Kodesh or the Kodesh Kadashim, which contains the Aron Kodesh. And then what did I miss? And then um, south. South. Where's my south? Um, oh yeah. So so south represents the uh, the the the, uh, the beneficial forces of fertility. That's what the Mukubalim tell us. And therefore, the northeast corner, where you combine north and east together, so that is going to be the place where spiritual and material meet. That's the conjunction where they go ahead and they meet. 
And the southwest corner is going to be a similar type of thing, but not on and not for individuals, but on a communal level. So that's how uh, the uh, the blood applications are going to be uh, are going to address both the individual as well as the communal. And then, as a result of that, now once we know that there are two corners, and each of those two corners represents a total of four things. So now we can divide the middle set of 13 brachas. Obviously 13 isn't exactly divisible by four. And we're going to discuss that. We're going to divide the middle set of 13 brachas into four different sections. Two of them having to do with individual needs. And then the, not two of them, half of them having to do with individual needs. And then half of them having to do with the communal needs. And that's how we're going to, uh, that's how we're going to break it down. So let's begin with our, Screen share. So now it's uh it's on the uh the screen in front of you, the the uh, the Shmon Asray? Yes. Good. Okay. Excellent. So the first three brachas of Shmon Asray. I wish I could get them all onto the screen at the same time, but I cannot. But the first three brachas are: you have Atachone, and this represents knowledge. Then you have the second bracha, Hashivenu Avinu. So this is repentance. And then the third bracha, Slachlanu, is going to be forgiveness. So these three brachas represent the spiritual needs of the individual. So first I need knowledge, and this is also sequenced. Uh, it's, not, it, it's not fully uh, explained in the Gemara, but this is something which the Gemara talks about the sequence of the first thing that a person has to, before you could do any sort of repentance and any sort of insecure forgiveness for yourself. So the first thing that you need to do is you need to have an awareness. You have to acknowledge that something is going on. So the first thing that a person needs is knowledge. With knowledge, self-awareness, then a person could go ahead and be inspired to do tshuva, to realize, to contemplate their, uh, their ways and their behaviors and see what needs adjustment and what needs fixing. And then once one uh, you know, could define the beast, one could conquer the beast, and that is going to be the, the tshuva process. So the first three brachas relate to the spiritual needs of the individual. From there, that's one, two, and three over there. From there, we move on to three brachos, which represent the, um, the, uh, the physical needs of an individual. So we're still on, we're, our focus is still on individual needs, but we're now moved from the spiritual to his material needs. So the first thing is we say, as they go ahead and they define over here, this has to do with redemption. Um, right, uh, that's going to be the, the redemption or freedom that I would like to be redeemed or freed from whatever afflictions I uh, I have. That's uh, whatever constraints uh, confine me and li- put limitations on me. Then the next one is Rifainu. This obviously has to do with a physical need because this is where I dive in for good health. That also is a direct need that uh, that uh, that uh, affects the individual, and then the next of this set of this um, uh, set of three is going to be the bracha of barech aleinu. This is where we talk about prosperity, individual prosperity, my ability to go ahead and earn a living or earn a comfortable living, all the things related to whether it's going to be agriculturally or whether it's going to be business wise. But this set of three, the second set of three. Uh, revolves around my uh, each individual's uh, personal needs, not spiritual needs, but personal physical needs. So this is six, the first six of the 13 brachas. Now, in the second half of that, 
We're skipping the bracha of Tekab Shofar for a moment. So now beginning with the bracha of Hashiva Shofteinu, so then we go ahead and we address now the same things, spiritual first, three about spiritual and three about physical, but now rather than addressing it in terms of an individual's needs, now we address it in terms of communal. So what does that mean in terms of communal? So now the first three are going to be the three spiritual needs of the community, of Klal Yisrael. So what's the first thing that we need? The first thing that we need is Hashiva Shofetenu Kivari Shona. As somebody who spends some time doing Choshen Mishpat, so I cannot tell you how much better off Klal Yisrael would be if we had real judges in a real court system in a real way to adjudicate and resolve uh, matters. And that would bring great, uh, uh, great, um, happiness, enjoy to Klai Yisrael as a whole, there's so many things where, which uh, halacha would allow us to handle in a particular way, but our hands are tied because we're not in charge of our own, uh, uh, in a sense, of our own destiny and, uh, and deciding how things should be handled. And therefore, our first uh, spiritual need is the restoration of judges. And in the bracha itself, uh, we say that once we have proper judges and counselors or advisors, so then the immediate consequence of that is going to be So immediately, once we have that thing in place, so sorrow and sighing are going to be removed from us. Because now things are going to be resolved in the proper manner. We're not going to be left sort of without resolution to, uh, to matters, but things could be properly, uh, be properly resolved. Now, immediately following that, once we have judges and we have counselors and we have advisors and whatnot, so then what's going to happen is the next bracha is sikva. So this is going to be punishment for the wicked. So once we have judges in place, so then we can be assured that those who are truly wicked, we can determine with, uh, with certainty what their wickedness is. And then we could go ahead and we could take care of that. And that's something which is going to be helpful in terms of the spiritual standing of the Jewish people, because many times we find in Chaza, we just had in Dafyomi the other day, that there's such a thing as a person who is, or a, a person who is deserving, let's say, of the divine presence, of some sort of a, a, a stronger connection with God or a direct communication from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And yet their hands are, they're not going to be able to achieve that because of the gullus, because of the exile, or sometimes you say, because the generation is not deserving. So the generation not being deserving means that there are sinful people, there are pockets of, uh, of sinners that exist amongst the Jewish people. And since we're all connected with one another, that's going to bring everybody down. So everybody is weighed down by the existence of the, uh, of, of the sinners. And if there is a circumstance where they're going to be uh, properly uh, addressed and handled, and if necessary, punished, so that is something which is going to cause an immediate benefit. And that immediate benefit in many regards is what the topic of the next bracha is, the third of the communal spiritual brachas, which is going to be reward for the righteous. So that's what we talk about in the bracha of al tzadikim al chasidim, and that is that that we will also see how we'll see that that the stark contrast between the punishment of the wicked and the reward of the righteous, and that is going to help us align everything in our minds, and we're going to see how there actually is that the world is being run according to the design of Hakadosh Baruch Hu, which 
those who do, uh, who follow his will, they're going to be rewarded. Those who don't follow his will, chas v'shalom, are going to be punished. And we're going to see how all of those things which we learned about uh, in terms of principles and whatnot of how the world should be run. So we'll actually see that manifest. So we'll see applications of that. We'll see the, the realization of that. And that's something which is going to be uh, something which is going to be very important for the spiritual standing of the uh, uh, of the nation. Um, right, and um, right, and this is something which in the in the uh, the Navi Yeshaya. So he goes ahead and he sequences these things as well. These are the psukim which the Gemara quotes. But he sequences these things as well in terms of the, the steps needed that all these topics appear when we talk about redemption. We talk about redemption of the Jewish people and the future redemption of the Jewish people and the coming of Mashiach in what that era is going to represent. So the Navi himself goes in and puts this sequence of the restoration of judges, the punishment of the wicked, and then the reward for, for the tzaddikim. So this is something which is very much as we, as we yearn for uh, redemption and for uh, Mashiach to come and for things to be set straight again and to be properly aligned with the, with Torah. So these are essential uh, consequences which are going to result from that. And therefore they represent very essential spiritual needs of the, of the Jewish people. Then the last set of three is also going to be on a communal level, but our physical needs, physical needs for the community for Klai so what are they? So they are number one. We want uh, housing in Yerushalayim. We want Yerushalayim to be uh, to be rebuilt. Yerushalayim ircha brachamim tashu. So that is number one. That there's going to be that the that Yerushalayim should be restored. And then in the next bracha, this is Esemach David Avducham Hera Satsmiach. So this this uh, revolves around, although we don't mention him by name, but this is the coming of Mashiach. So that's going to be the restoration of the monarchy of the uh, of the Jewish people, the descendants of David, and the monarchy of the family of David back onto the throne. And then finally, we go ahead and we talk about how we want Hakadosh Baruch Hu to go ahead and answer all of our tefillahs. So whatever the personal requests we have, whatever individual things we have, but on a uh, on a uh, uh, on a communal level, so we want Hakadosh Baruch Hu to be attentive to our prayers, and we don't want our prayers to seem as if they are falling on, on, on deaf ears. So this also is going to be this all-encompassing bracha that we have, that we are a request that we have of HaKadosh Baruch Hu for our, the physical needs of Klai Yisrael as a, as a nation. And uh, uh, obviously, once the spiritual needs of the Jewish people are addressed, so then we could then the the, uh, the physical needs of the Jewish people are going to follow right afterwards, and that's why it's going to follow that uh, that, that that particular uh, sequence. And then with that in place, then we move on in the last three brachas to talk about the restoration of the actual avoda in the Beis Hamikdash and the thanks that we're going to have for Hakadosh Baruch Hu, and all of that is going to follow from there. So here, according to this approach, according to this uh, this system, so we have twelve brachas. You have the first six of the 12 are revolve around individual needs. The last six of the 12 are going to revolve around communal needs. And then each of those six represents spiritual needs, spiritual and then physical for the individual and then spiritual and then physical as far as the, uh, the community is concerned. But we left out one brach in the middle over there. 
the middle bracha over there we did not address, and that is the one that you have on the screen in front of you now, and that is the bracha of Tekabe Shofar Gadol Cherusenu. So this is where we ask HaKadosh Baruch Hu to blast the great shofar, which is representative of our ultimate cherus, our ultimate freedom, and then lift up the, uh, the flag, which is going to be the sign of the uh, ingathering of the exiles, and gather us together. Jews are spread out all over the, uh, the face of the, uh, the earth. And therefore, you're going to go ahead and bring all of us uh, back, uh, back in there. So this bracha is, uh, is an interesting bracha because it doesn't fit into individual needs, but at the same time, it doesn't represent a communal need either. This bracha is really the bridge which is going to connect the individual to the community. Because as we all know, that our lives, are, are, are we, we, are, uh, we don't live in a vacuum. Nobody lives in a vacuum, no matter how righteous the person is, how much of a tzaddik the person is, how much of a chassid the person is. A person is never lives by themselves. A person always has to understand that they are part of Klal Yisrael as a whole, that we're this inseparable unit. You're, we're all individual cells in this larger body called Klal Yisrael. And ultimately, there is no distinction between our individual needs and the communal needs. Because ultimately, the individual needs are part of the, what the individual needs to ultimately be part of its seaboard. Because that's what we're all uh, ultimately going to be, uh, we're, we're, uh, we're, we're destined to be, uh, to be a part of. And therefore, we have to go ahead and we have to sequence our requests. And as we go through uh, our, our perception of ourselves, obviously, we begin with what's closest to us. And we move from what's closest to us and we expand that, cir- that circle. It's like uh, the uh, uh, Reb Shimon Shkap talks about in, the, in his Akdam, in his introduction to his Sefer Shari Yosher. So he talks about how this almost dichotomy in which HaKadosh Baruch Hu created people essentially selfish. From our earliest age, a, a, a baby is, uh, is the center of the world. And therefore, all they care about is how, uh, whether they're feeling a sense of comfort or whether they're feeling a sense of discomfort, and then they, whenever it's discomfort, they cry out, and some loving adult comes running to take care, take care of their needs. So the initial uh, training of every person is because humans are the most are, are the most dependent for the longest period of time. So uh, Hakadosh Baruch Hu created a circumstance whereby we are completely selfish. Our initial uh, introduction into this world is completely selfish. And then he goes that it says, love others like yourself. So loving others like yourself is something which seems to be in violation of, or seems to be inconsistent with the, uh, the fact that HaKadosh Baruch Hu created us in a very essential, uh, a, a very selfish way. So how are we supposed to balance the fact that we are by nature selfish, and yet we're supposed to be unselfish. We're supposed to be completely un- uh, unselfish. But even when we are unselfish, we still have an obligation that uh, that when there's a, a, a conflict between your life and the life of another person, so that your life is still going to come first. So Rabbi Shimon says, Rabbi Shimon Shkab says, that the idea is that Kosh Baruch Hu created us, the, created like the world, like the concentric circles of an onion. So each layer wraps around the earth, the inside layers. So when we're born, we are the most selfish. That's going to be the core of the onion. And then the maturation process is to begin to include 
more people in your anochi, in your who you identify with. So the initial identity of the child is just themselves. Then they realize that there's loving parents and they become part of who the child identifies with. And then the child realizes there may be siblings that they have to get along with. So the siblings hopefully get incorporated into the center. And as we go on, we have friends and then we have community and then we have spouse, we have our own children. And all of these are concentric circles which wrap around one another. And ultimately what's supposed to happen is that when we talk about how Hashem Echad Echad, that Hashem is one and his name is one. So the ultimate goal, the, what the era of Mashiach is going to represent is the unity of all of the universe. The all of mankind is going to know what role they play, what they're supposed to be doing and how everybody's role is going to be significant in giving Kavod Shemaim, giving honor to, uh, to, to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So that's the ultimate is to realize the unity of everything. But it's a process. It's a maturation process, and it's a it's a lifetime process which which we go through. But certainly, we hope that over the course of that, if our our chinuch is good, if our uh, our education is is good, our training is good, so we're going to realize that we are, as individuals are part of Kla Yisrael, and that is part of the growth. And our tefillah represents that. That first we start. We never want to ignore the self. That's one of the important things that they point out. It's vehavta l'recha kamocha doesn't say love others at your own expense, that you're not loving yourself. You're loving others as much as you love yourself because every person loves themselves. Every person is, is going to be worried about their own well-being. And our capacity to connect with others very much revolves around our ability to connect with ourselves, to be, uh, to be honest with ourselves and to, be, uh, to, be, uh, to feel comfortable with ourselves. So therefore, says that the first thing is it has to be, you have to recognize that there's a love that you're supposed to have for yourself. And then once you recognize, you can appreciate the love you're supposed to have for yourself, then you can apply that to, to others as well. So Shmonesri follows that pattern in terms of first focusing on you as an individual, your spiritual needs, your physical needs, and then moving from there in recognition of the need for, uh, for Klai Yisrael, to also also representing similar types of spiritual needs and similar type of physical needs. And then that becomes the totality of the prayer is that, that ability to transition or to move from a focus on you as an individual to a focus on Klai Yisrael as, as a whole. And as we said, this middle bracha of the 13, the seventh of these, uh, of these 13 brachas, is this bracha where we talk about taking all the individuals of Klai Yisrael that is the kabitz So the middle, the middle words over here. We'll highlight them. That this idea that we want the exiles to be gathered in from the four corners of the world. This is where we're now pulling together all of the individuals, and we're now creating klal yisrael. And once we've pulled together all the individuals, and now we have a klal yisrael, then we move on and we start looking at things from the perspective of the klal rather than the perspective of the yachid, the community, rather than the individual. And then we begin to focus on the spiritual needs of Klal Yisrael and the physical needs of Klal Yisrael, because that is going to be a, uh, a, a, a logical sequence in terms of how the, uh, that, the internal structure of these brachas. So all of this is approach number one. Six, six with one, which is, which is going to be in the, in the middle. Now, there is, however, uh, another approach, at least an, uh, another approach, of how to go ahead and to see a parallel between, uh, to see the inner structure, I should say, the inner structure of the middle brachas of the uh, of the Shmona Esrei. 
And uh, it's important, I think, to, uh, to have uh, different options or different ways of looking at the Shemona Esrei, because number one, uh, different ways are going to resonate with different people. So some people may enjoy the first approach, some people may enjoy the second approach. And the truth is, is that each of us individually, some days it may be that the first approach is going to resonate with us more. And on other days, it may be that the second approach is going to resonate with us more because even with our, within our own minds, in our own uh, uh, emotional state and spiritual state, so we will be uh, attracted or connected to, uh, to different ideas at different times. So that's why it's nice to have these different options. Otherwise, you know, Shimon Esrei could get the stale after a while because we do, we, we do happen to say the same thing three times a day, every day for, uh, you know, over the course of our lifetime. So mixing it up a little bit and having, uh, you know, something else to think about on occasion is always going to be, is always going to be helpful. Um, now, according to this approach, the way we're going to approach it as in the first approach, so the, the structure was 616. Six were the individual uh, brachas, one is the transition, and then the last six is going to be the communal. The second approach looks at it as 661. That's going to be what's going on. And as we'll see, what the, the, the last one of Shema Koleinu will be the all encompassing bracha, but the first 12 of them, so it's going to be six and six. And then of the six and six, so one and seven and two and eight and three and nine, so there's going to be a correspondence between them. That's how the two sets of bracha, that's how the two sixes are going to correspond to, uh, to one another. Now, this also agrees that there are individual requests and there are communal requests, and but they're going to, and we're going to see the, uh, the parallels between them. Um... Let me go ahead now. Okay, so, um, right. So the first one is the bracha of atachonin l'adam das. So this is where we ask HaKadosh Baruch Hu for knowledge. And then one, two, three. And then the, the, according to this, the next one is going to be the corresponding to one to that is going to be the bracha of Tekabah Shofar. So Tekabah Shofar is the ingathering of the exiles which ultimately is going to lead to the uh, construction of the uh, of the in these two things have a direct parallel to one another have a direct connection to one another based on the gemara and brachos the gemara and brachos on lamed gimel mebeis says that uh, that uh, that first of all both of these things both knowledge as there are psukim which which uh, which illustrate this but both knowledge and the besamitosh are so valuable that there are psukim in which place those ideas in between two names of God. So anytime a, a concept is sandwiched in between two names of God, that demonstrates its, its importance. So knowledge and the Beis Amitash are two things where, where, where you have that. And for that reason, the Gemara goes out and goes on to say that one who uses their intellect properly, one who's going to be able to harness and direct their intellect in Avodas Hashem, in the towards the service of Hashem, so is considered to have created or not created is considered to have rebuilt the Beis Hamikdash in their times. So the Beis Hamikdash, there is a and this is a philosophical idea, but there is a physical Beis Hamikdash which uh, which existed in certain eras of Jewish history. But then there's an idea that a person could create, just like we say that a person could create their Olam Haba in this world. 
So they're not actually, they're not physically in Olam Haba, but they're living in Olam Haba type of existence. So in the same way, the Gora says that a person who uses their intellect towards Avodas Hashem, they, they've dedicated and they've harnessed their intellect toward, uh, towards the Avodas Hashem. So they have a Besamikdash type of existence, even in the absence of the, a physical Besamikdash. So that's something which is going to connect the bracha number one in bracha number uh, n- n- number uh, number seven. Now the next thing is we have to keep going back and forth. So then the second of the middle brachas over here is a bracha of tshuva. So we say hashivenu avinu sarasecha, where we ask Hakadosh Baruch Hu to go ahead and uh, and to uh, to provide us uh, and to uh, help us assist us in the tshuva process, and that corresponds with the bracha of Hashiva Shofetenu Kivari Shona, where we want the restoration of, uh, of judges. So uh, this the, the, the connection over here is that this, in the second bracha, Hashivenu Avinu Sarasecha. So we ask, this is where we ask for repentance. We ask for assistance in repentance. And then in this eighth bracha, the one which you have highlighted over here on the screen, the restoration of judges. So this is a recognition that a major part of the uh, of the tshuva process is going to be something where we're going to get guidance from our judges and our advisors, i.e. Nevi'im and whatnot, who are going to be able to help us chart a path of proper tshuva. So a person uh, is obviously biased towards themselves, and sometimes it's difficult for a person to look at them, look at themselves in the mirror, and to be able to identify all of the various flaws in all of the work that needs to be done in order to make a, a full repair to everything which uh, which is going on. But the restoration of judges and advisors, like we talk about in this bracha of Hashiva Shofetenu, so it's a uh, it's something which will definitely assist in that process. Interestingly, again, it's just something which occurred to me now, but these two brachas, number two and number uh, eight, which correspond to one another, so they both uh, begin with a form of the word hashiva, of shuv. Hashiveinu avinu sarasecha and hashiva shoftenu kivarishona. So you have a parallel opening words to these, to, to these opening word, to these two brachas, which is also is indicative of a connection between, uh, between the two of them. Then, next thing we have over here is, the third bracha is, this bracha of actual forgiveness. This is a successful tshuva, is going to lead to a successful forgiveness uh, for our sins. And um, uh, this is going to correspond to uh, that the ultimate forgiveness is going to be related to this bracha v'lam al-shinim al-tihisikva. So uh, very often when a person goes at, and not all sins, but certainly there is uh, for many sins, so it's something which is going to be, there is groupthink, where one is going to be influenced by their friends and by their community and by uh, the uh, environment in which they, uh, they find themselves. So if a person is uh, going to be uh, ultimately is going to be forgiven for all of uh, all of their sins and be able to move on from the uh, the sinful ways which they have uh, they have uh, followed until this point so one of the things which is important is to make sure that the uh, the group of sinners which contribute to creating a sinful type of uh, environment and a sinful type of uh, of atmosphere that they should also need to be uh, they need to be uh, they need to be uh, gone 
they need to cease to exist in order for a person to go ahead and the temptations which are created by the uh, which are created by various communal standards so that needs to be addressed and that needs to to cease in order for individuals to be able to complete their chuva process and to be completely forgiven otherwise they could easily go ahead and find themselves being pulled back into those uh, those sinful behaviors many uh, uh, of which people uh, which people do so they have a hard time pulling themselves away from that because it's something which happens when uh, when they are together with their friends or with the group of people who encourage or are tolerant or whatever the uh, whatever word you're going to use there so the ultimate uh, break from sinful ways and the ultimate forgiveness is going to be not only when the individual tries to break away but when those communal pressures which lead to sin also is something which is uh, which will uh, no longer exist then after that we have the bracha of number four is so this is the bracha where we ask for personal redemption so that's what the the, uh, the way that this uh, the safaria goes ahead and in uh, and describes it is going to be personal uh, redemption so like the english says look upon our affliction and defend our cause and redeem us speedily because you are a mighty redeemer. So that's what we are looking for as an individual. And at the same time, we recognize that we haven't always been so righteous in our behavior over the course of our lifetime. And therefore we may not have the personal uh, merit to go ahead and to be able to uh, earn uh, a personal redemption. So therefore the parallel to that is the bracha of the righteous. So we go ahead and we mind HaKadosh Baruch Hu of the merit which is generated by these various groups of tzaddikim. And the main thing which we want to go ahead and we mention over here is, for this, for this pshat is, that um, that we want our portion, those of us who are not one of those groups of Tzadigim, Chasidim, Zignei Amcha, Pleita Sofreim, those of us who are not in one of those exclusive, not exclusive, but one of those uh, um, uh, 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 outstanding groups of, of Jews in terms of the behavior. So we want to go ahead and we want to tap in to their merit. And that's what we have in that highlighted section, that we want our portion to be together with theirs. We want to be the recipients of sort of like the leftovers of the merit which they are able to generate because that will ultimately secure for us, even on an individual level, of the opportunity for that personal redemption. So that's why these two brachas go together. Um, now, in the fifth bracha, so we go ahead and we're asking for good health, right? So this has to do with uh, being, uh, being able to be, uh, be healthy. And the corresponding bracha to that the corresponding bracha to that is going to be because just like the uh, good health is the restoration uh, is is uh, uh, re- requires some significant healing on our part so the uh, the besamikdash represented the heart and the soul of the jewish people so when Klai Yisrael are healthy, so they have a Beis HaMikdash. This requires a little bit of a sledgehammer, but you have a, 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 a Beis HaMikdash. 
and with the Beis Hamikdash. So that is where all of our avoda, all of our service, that's when we're going to be able to do things in this optimal manner. Sometimes you have to go ahead and you have to, uh, uh, one has to uh, live their lives with certain restrictions and whatnot because they're very unhealthy. And as a result of that, they need medications and they need whatever uh, therapies that, they're, 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 that are necessary to get themselves back to a healthy state. So on a communal level, the healthy state that we're looking for is the ingathering of the exiles, the Jewish people living in Yerushalayim, a functioning Beis Amikdash, because then the avoda which we do is going to be something which is going to be communally focused, rather than like nowadays, where the avoda which we do in the form of prayer, even though we do it b'tzibor, even though we do it together as part of a tzibor, as part of a community, still each person says his own private monastery. And that's also in contrast to the way things are supposed to be with a functioning base Hamikdash, where there's one centralized avoda which is taking place, the offering of karbanos, and that avoda is being done uh, is done on behalf of the entirety of Kal Yisrael, and therefore that's uh, the the good health of the Jewish people is manifest when we are back in Yerushalayim with a functioning uh, base Hamikdash. Um, right. And uh, in my notes over here, I, I have the line, the destruction of the Beis Amikdash and Yerushalayim can be described as the heart attack experienced by the Nate, by, uh, by, uh, by, by, uh, by Klai Yisrael. So this is something which uh, represented the, the uh, final blow, right? The, in the, uh, somebody who has a heart blockage. So you have calcification, I guess, calcification, calcification, you have arteries which are getting blocked slowly but surely, but you're still more or less functioning because there's still an opportunity for blood to get through. But once you reach a certain point at which there's not enough blood which is going through, so then you have a heart attack and then all sorts of things uh, splinter from there, all sorts of things fall apart as a result of that. So Klai Yisrael, let's say during the, the era of the second base Amikdash, so they weren't so healthy, but they were still able to exist even with a weak heart. But at a certain point, the heart just can't handle it anymore. And that's when the heart attack is going to kick in. And then we're still in that recovery. We're still in that post-heart attack therapy stage where we're trying to recover from, uh, from that, at that, uh, at that point. Then the next thing we have is bracha number six. So this is the bracha barech aleinu. This is where, as it says over here, this is the bracha for prosperity. This is uh, for material wealth and prosperity. and this is something which uh, obviously each individual needs. And then the corresponding bracha to that is going to be this idea of where we go ahead and we're davening for the restoration of Mashiach, of the coming of Mashiach and all, all of that. And the, uh, the Gemara in Sanhedrin tells us that one of the ways by which we, could, uh, we, we know of the imminent arrival of Mashiach is the revitalization of agriculture in Eretz Yisrael. And this is one of those miracles which we see over the course of our, of our lifetime, that when the Jews first began to uh, return to Eretz Yisrael, let's even begin with the beginning of the state. So uh, the, uh, the land of Israel at that point, the state of Israel was not a, an agricultural society. There was almost no agricultural um, uh, uh, existence which over there, because by and large, the land was, uh, was desert. Then the Jews return, and with the Siyata de Shemaya, and with all sorts of great innovation on their part, suddenly they're able to go ahead and make literally a desert bloom, and you can have this whole agricultural industry 
now during the Shemitah year, so the Kashus organizations warn us at various times, oh, you should know that Jewel or Mariano's or this store or that store or foods is now carrying cucumbers and peppers which come from Eretz Yisrael and there's Shemitah problems with them, so you have to go ahead and you have to avoid them. So it's such a powerhouse agriculturally that the produce which they're making in Eretz Yisrael, which less than a century ago was just a desert, now is being exported all over the world and now creates for us all sorts of halachic halachic, uh, 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 issues. So these two things of material wealth and the uh, the coming of Mashiach is something which is obviously is a very strong connection between the the two. And that's why bracha six and bracha 12 are going to correspond to to one another. Um, Now, now, obviously, when it comes to the final bracha, because we said, according to this approach, it's 661. So 661, so the final bracha of the, of the middle over here is the catch-all for everything. In case we missed something along the way, whether it's going to be something which addresses us uh, uh, on an individual level, or whether it's going to be something which, uh, which we need to address on a communal level, whatever it happens to be that we, uh, that we may have forgotten. So we go ahead and we say, that listen to our voice, uh, spare us and have compassion on us, and accept our prayers. Because we ask for a lot of things, 12 different brachas, and we ask for things both which represent our individual needs as well as our more broad communal needs. And the ultimate thing which we need from HaKadosh Baruch Hu is to hear all of those requests which we made, all of these uh, different brachas, and that you should answer our tefillahs in a way which is going to be successful, which is going to be, uh, which is going to be beneficial uh, for us. So that's why, according to this one, it's not the bracha of Tekab Shofar, which is in the middle of six and six, but here you have six and then six, and then you have the 13th bracha, which is the all-encompassing bracha. And that's why Chazal tell us, and it makes its way into Shulchan Aruch as well, is that in the event that a person has some sort of personal need, which they want to ask from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, which wasn't covered by one of the previous 12 brachas. So Shema Koleinu is the bracha in which you could ask for whatever you want. So that's why this is the, the all-encompassing bracha, which allows to, uh, whenever you want to go ahead and you want to personalize your tefillah, so you would go ahead and you would do so in the bracha of uh, Shema Koleinu, because that's really what, according to this approach, that's really what it was designed to do, is to, uh, to give everybody the, the, uh, the opportunity and the, uh, the springboard to go ahead and to ask God on a very personal level for those specific things which, uh, which you may need at that time and at, uh, at, at that moment. Um, okay, so I think that's, uh, that uh, completes our, uh, our, uh, our analysis of the structure of Shemon Asrei, both the first three and the last three, and then the, uh, the middle brachas. And then I think starting next week, we will move on to the post-Shemon Asrei. So if you remember, and we'll, uh, we'll introduce again next week, but if you remember, we talked about how uh, that, the, that the, the structure of Shachris is it's a ladder up, starting from, uh, from the earth over here or moving up to our conversation with God. And now once you finish that conversation with God, you don't just jump out of that and you don't uh, you know, jump back into the rest of your life afterwards. You have to step down a little bit after that, uh, that powerful spiritual experience. So all of the tefillahs which we say after Shimon Aswe till we get to the end of davening is the descent from that intimate conversation we had with God till we could go ahead and we can in a sense 
rejoin the world already in progress. And we'll talk about the different stages that we go through as we move from Shmon Esrei to, uh, to, uh, to, uh, to the end of David. And that is what I have for you tonight. Um, I had a question, yeah. um, only you had asked me to hold this question until we got to Shimon Esrei. Oh, and that was... Thanks for waiting. Uh, yes, I was very patient. Um, you know, uh, there are some people who daven quickly during Shimon Esrei and some people who daven slowly. And um, I assume that there's no one way. It's whatever is best for them. But I thought you might want to comment on uh, Kavana can be slow or Kavana could be fast. Right. So there, there, there are different approaches as far as that is concerned. Um, some people, uh, uh, you know, with uh, uh, prefer a, a slower shon essay, an opportunity to say the words and uh, and to focus on their meaning as you're uh, as you're going along, um, and that's good for those people who have that level of concentration and that level of, of focus. And then there are others who um, um, uh, are are, are uh, they make an effort not to go quickly necessarily. But to to say the words and to move through it, because ultimately um, uh, it, it, it's a conversation, and a conversation with God. Uh, uh, if somebody was uh, conversing with you and said, "Stu, can you please, Davin, for?" Davin's coming soon. The Amr. But if you go ahead, that's not the way you have a conversation. So speaking that slowly, if, you, if you're going to see, if you're going to perceive Shmoneser as a conversation with God, so conversation usually flows at a certain pace, or a certain rate. Now, obviously, there's some people who talk slower and some people who talk faster, but it should be something you want to uh, demonstrate. According to this approach, you want to demonstrate the recognition that this is actually a conversation with God, and therefore you're going to speak with God at the same pace and the same rate that you would go ahead and you would speak with uh, with another person. On top of which, uh, for many people, if you try too hard to focus on each word individually, that itself becomes distracting. And it may be easier to go ahead and get it done quickly uh, than to go ahead and to uh, to get it done uh, get it done slowly. You hear like, uh, you know, uh, different people who read from the Torah, especially by young people. So they, they want to make sure that they get it right. They try and do it very quickly to make sure because if they do it too slow, I know for myself that when I lay in the Megillah, for example, when I practice reading the Megillah, so I read it quickly because I'm not pausing for Haman and I don't have to wait for anybody else. So I'm not concerned about anybody else listening. And then when we actually get to reading it in shul and I have to pause for all of those Hamans, that pause actually distracts me. And I lose track of where I am, and then I can't pick it up afterwards. And that's why you'll notice that Steve Goldfarb is always there with his finger on the place. Because when people are clapping Haman, I look over into the Tanakh that he's got next to him so that I'll be able to pick it up afterwards, because otherwise I get, I get distracted. So everybody has to know themselves whether or not there will be best saying it quickly, or it will be most effective for them to say it slowly. And that's really a very much a, a personal thing, and there's no one size fits all, which is going to be helpful. And then also something which you could, you know, switch around a little bit, you know, sometimes say it slowly, sometimes say it quickly, sometimes take one bracha to try and really uh, focus your attention on it uh, on one day or on a series of days. And then, uh, you know, some other time you'll focus on a different bracha, but whatever we, whatever uh, an individual needs to do in order to be able to 
make it a meaningful uh, prayer. So that's a uh, thumbs up for me for whatever, uh, whatever you're going to go ahead and do to, uh, to make it that, uh, that meaningful uh, prayer. But there are definitely two distinct uh, opinions as far, as far as that is, uh, as far as that is concerned. Thank you for making it meaningful. <laughs> I appreciate it. You're welcome. All right. So 